It's the LFC agenda with Drew. I've not had a chance to check in over the past 10 days or so. And there's been a whole load of football. Liverpool seemingly playing every three to four days. And um, there's been a lot of negative reaction around the team. People getting a bit angsty, a bit nervous about what the recent results mean. So I just wanted to check in before the fixtures begin to run away and we don't get a chance to look back on things properly. Um, this isn't going to be a jumbo edition. We all know what's happened over the past three games, but let's just recap. November was meant to be the month where we geared ourselves up for the clash with City with four straight wins against smaller opposition, smaller teams. That's what I predicted. I thought we'd get four in a row. It's not worked out that way. And then in between, there's been a bit of disappointment in the Europa League. We have, however, managed to stay top of that group and also progressed to the next round of the League Cup. So Reds, it's not all that bad. I'll tell you, I'm part of some WhatsApp groups where people are immediately after the game, admittedly, uh, losing, losing things a little bit, losing a bit of perspective. So we have to look at, as a whole, how the season's gone. And yes, in isolation, some of the recent results haven't been great. If you've given us what we currently got in terms of results, in terms of league position, in terms of where we're placed in the competitions we're in, we all would have taken it. Am I lying? I don't think so. So let's rewind back to, because I think the last, the last game we spoke about was a Forest match. Let's rewind back to the start of November, where we faced Bournemouth in the... EFL Cup or the League Cup. Liverpool are through to the next round. Uh, it's all thanks to, ultimately, a stupendous finish from Darwin Nunes. It was very much a typical Nunes goal. Ball over the top, arrived um, just outside the box and he made a complete hash of controlling it. It's kind of like he wasn't anticipating it and it hit his toe, uh, ran away from him, but he collected it on the left-hand side of the box Given his recent vein of form, he could see his confidence hadn't been affected. Composed himself, teased the defender on the edge of the box, worked his way inside and unleashed a shot that just went through the Bournemouth goalkeeper. I mean, it was, it was a, a stupendous finish. It wasn't one I was able to watch live, but you could see Radu, the Bournemouth goalkeeper, just looked like he'd been shot. <laughs> the ball just went right through him. And... Um, Gakpo had given us the lead in the first half uh, and Justin Clivert had equalised, but that was ultimately the winner from Darwin Nunes. And it sets up nicely, as I say, when you look at the season as a whole, we're in all competitions right now. It sets up nicely for a home clash against West Ham. So another chance to see Mikel Antonio <laughs> come to Anfield and do his thing. That's not going to be an easy game and it's around a very congested period because we've got Man United, I think, two days prior uh, and then preparing for Arsenal on, on that weekend, which I'm hopefully going to be at as well. So really happy actually about the progress in the League Cup. I will say that in recent times, City have dominated it and that should be taken as a sign from other clubs who are serious about challenging City, who are serious about you know, ultimately getting success because it's it provides you with a, a little platform, doesn't it? If you can win that, it can be competitive and it gets a final, gives the fans a nice day out. A lot of people forget that 80% of trophies, domestic trophies at the top level are won by City. Yeah, even before they did the treble, 
they were averaging two trophies a season. And one of those did not include the European Cup. So that means most seasons you're fighting for one trophy realistically. <laughs> and that might be the FA Cup. So teams like Spurs, Arsenal, who've dropped out this competition, I think they'll they'll come to regret it. In Arsenal's case, they they didn't really have a chance against West Ham. I'm not quite sure what they're doing. They keep a situation, but the team looked very dishevelled and our next opponents, uh, West Ham, just wiped the floor with them. So they didn't have a chance. But my general point around the League Cup is that teams should take it seriously. They should see the, the value and the merit in going far. And um, giving games to, to players that might be on the fringe, Aaron <laughs> Ramsdale, and ultimately giving the fans more memories and more days out, hopefully we'll be there in, in the winter sunshine come February or March time, whenever the League Cup final is. But I don't want to look too far ahead because, as I say, West Ham will be uh, a significant obstacle for Liverpool to overcome, particularly in a congested period. I'm not looking at that as, as a gimme at all, even though it is at Anfield. So after the Bournemouth game, we went on to Kenilworth Road. Now, as I said, in totality, and looking at the wider picture, Liverpool, seven wins out of 11, three defeats and one, sorry, three draws and one defeat with a big asterisk against it. It's a good return. It's a really good return. 24 points, three points behind City with that fixture at the Etihad looming large. I'm happy with that. However... However, what we witnessed at Kenilworth Road against Luton was not acceptable. This is a team that I've put a bet on to win fewer than four matches this season. And I'm pretty convinced that that could come to fruition. I I could be paid out on that. Yet, we went there, treated it like a, a League Cup tie. With a very strong side out, by the way. But in terms of a League Cup mentality, it was a bit... Harem scarem. They came all guns blazing, nothing to lose. The big boys are in town. We're going to give it a go. And ultimately, what you got was them playing to the absolute maximum, Liverpool being off it, and the result being that we didn't put in a performance, we weren't able to penetrate enough. It's one of those where we're building up with decent chances that you're thinking, okay, just keep chipping away. Uh, but then the performance just tailed off in the second half and going in at nil-nil really concerned me <laughs> I, I, I couldn't understand how we got into that situation where we're playing a team that's lost I think at least seven out of their, their 11 fixtures has one victory and we're looking like you know Burnley or someone look I know Everton lost to Luton at home but you know that's a that's a different story different kind of team we are Liverpool. We should be going to Luton, dominating, pressing home chances and taking the three points. We didn't do it and it was really disappointing. And Luton crept out of the bottom three thanks to that that point. Ultimately, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. So on reflection, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that point. And Luis Diaz, who we're going to come and speak about, was ultimately the, the guy that grabbed the headlines because he secured in I think like the fifth minute of injury time, a point with a really fantastic header, the kind of thing that you would have seen from Sadio Mane 
um, when he used to be such a lethal operator for us, latched onto a cross and planted it in the net. And um, he, he lifted up his, his shirt to reveal the T-shirt, Freedom for Papa. It's a reminder that his dad, who'd previously been held captive by uh, kidnappers in Colombia, and thank God he's since been released, so that poor boy can now get back to his football and, and concentrate on, on the things that he's here to do. So, yeah, that, that was a really great moment, although, as Jürgen Klopp stressed, even then, you know, because there'd been no news of what had happened, you know, it was just a moment, uh, a moment of relief uh, amid the stress and, and anxiety that, that that boy must have been going through. Oh, and shout-out to, to Harvey Elliott, by the way. Every time he comes on, he's the one who, who assisted with the cross. Very cool and, and measured ball into the box. Um, yes, Diaz had a lot of work to do, but I, I just really was impressed by Harvey and, and what he delivered um, under pressure in the circumstances. And I'm noticing a trend of, of him maturing, of him making really good decisions. He's very composed on the ball, makes sure that you know he keeps things moving, keeps things tidy, but is also very progressive. Um, and that, that, for me, is a plus point um, on a day where there weren't many, if I'm honest. Luton had actually taken the lead from a Liverpool corner. I mean, that just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Uh, Tahith Chong was the the player that sent the ground into absolute raptures. It was a, it was a really good counter attack, I have to say, but you shouldn't be conceding from a corner like that. I mean, within the space of four or five seconds, they'd broken away, uh, cross had been whipped in, into Chong, and, and he dispatched really confidently. It reminded me a lot of my second team, Watford. Um, on one of in one of their playoff years where they reached the final but didn't get promoted, but it's actually one of the most famous games in the club's history, and sometimes you see repeats of it on, on Sky Sports. Uh, I think they were playing Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, they had conceded the penalty. Penalty was saved, <laughs> and they went straight up the other end, sweeping move, and Troy Deeney fired them into the lead and sent them into into ecstasy and it was a, it just gave me flashbacks of that moment because it was exactly the same kind of goal and it's a goal that a team like Liverpool shouldn't be conceding but they were so high up the pitch the shape was wrong they didn't have the cover and and they just got sucker punched I really really was disappointed to see that and because the goal came in the 80th minute and we'd been knocking on the door but not convincingly in my head I began to fear the worst. Although with this team, I never write them off. But in my head, uh, even though we're playing Luton, Luton Town FC, I repeat, I was beginning to think, okay, this may be another defeat, this time a legitimate one uh, for us to stomach. And it's always terrible on on a Sunday evening, especially in the winter, it's getting dark. You start thinking about what you've got coming up for work the the next day and... You know, if you're in the kind of workplace where you've got other footy fans, it's a complete nightmare having a rubbish result on a Sunday. And so I was so relieved when when Diaz popped up with a goal. That match, as I say, I don't like to pick out individuals, but that match, um, yeah, it it caused a bit of concern um, generally, looking at the performance. The team he put out should have been enough to dispatch Luton convincingly so the midfield that he started with so the midfield he started with was 
Sobersly, McAllister and Gravenberch, which is now looking to be our first choice midfield. However, McAllister picked up a card in that game and is, is now going to be out. So Curtis Jones should be good to step in when he's fit. We haven't seen Curtis Jones since White Hart Lane, as a reminder, which saw him suspended and basically wiped him out for two months because he's now come back with an injury. So we have to see what Klopp goes with um, for, the, for the short term. But it looks like Endo will have to step in and do the job that he's meant to be doing. Um, if only he can get a few opportunities. But anyway, that midfield he started with is, I think, his first choice at the moment. And they just didn't function. Yes, they had a lot of possession. Yes, the, the passing was neat and tidy. But they didn't carve Luton open Liverpool. This wasn't just down to the midfield. I'm talking about the front three just weren't quite on top of their game. There was a, a couple of periods in the game where there was a bit of ping-pong in the Luton box and shots didn't go in and you know it was kind of nearly chances for Liverpool. But there wasn't ever a sustained period of pressure where you're like, OK, these guys are going to get a goal. Not until... After we'd scored the, the equaliser in the 95th minute, did I feel that there was a real sense of urgency. And that, for me, was the biggest disappointment. It's almost like it hadn't clicked for Liverpool's, the Liverpool players um, that this is a game where you're going to have to apply yourself as you would do every other match. A lot of people point to the horrendous, and it was a horrendous miss, from Darwin Nunes in the second half, which... Like Gravenberch's really silly miss against Brighton should have put us into lead and it would have been a very different match. But you can't live football results on, on ifs, buts, maybes. We should have won the game, yes, but we didn't. Happy to get a point. So the ball arrived into Darby Nunes and when it looked a lot harder to miss, that's what he actually did. He scooped the ball over the bar. The miss was so bad that Mo Salah, who was within shot on TV, immediately head and hands on haunches and rolled back in utter disbelief and despair that his teammate had passed up that opportunity. I'm pretty sure around the land and around the globe, Liverpool fans are doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> it was a stupendous miss. But even then, Liverpool... You know, they'd open them up. They had the chance to step it up and create a sustained period of pressure. And it just didn't come. So credit to Luton, man. They got their point. Um, should have been more, you know, in reflection, given when they scored the, the goal uh, to go ahead. But I was happy, ultimately, to escape that, that match with, with a, a draw because it nudged us ahead of Arsenal and Tottenham, who played in that kamikaze match, which was incredible entertainment with Chelsea the next day. Um... Also drop points. So, all in all, we, d we didn't fall behind either Tottenham or Arsenal. We went closer to Tottenham by a point. So, we're two points behind them. We edged ahead of Arsenal in goal difference. And who did Arsenal play that weekend? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember. I think they lost against Newcastle, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Arteta going absolutely bananas over that incident. How can I forget? But anyway, I digress. Liverpool had actually come out that weekend pretty unscathed. I think Villa also dropped points, if you're looking down as far as them. But City won again, convincingly. But it's only a three-point gap, yeah? So in the league, disappointment. And that was a concern. Looking at that performance, I began to think 
about the the condition of the squad. Um, yes, they've had quite a few games to contend with. There's probably been a lot of travel with Europe. But I don't think in November you should be toiling like that, going to loot. And it did cause concern. I don't feel that the match that followed, which gave us our second defeat of the season, which, by the way, I think is pretty inconsequential because we're still top of that Europa League group. I don't feel that defeat against Toulouse was linked at all in terms of our form, just because if you look at the makeup of of the team, it was pretty much second string. I know he brought in the cavalry in the second half in search of at least a point, but um, at the same time, it was a very disappointing performance again. Uh, and patchwork. We had Keller in goal, who seems to have, when he's come in, not been as convincing as he was uh, season before last, where he had a lot of football in our hunt for the quadruple and played a very significant role in, in those those cup victories. But he seems to have dropped off. I think for him personally, he probably needs to find a new club. I'd love him to stay, and that's that comment I make about him probably needing a new challenge. It's not a reflection of, of his ability or, um, in my mind, there's no question that he's good enough to be a, a backup option for Alisson. But uh, whilst Alisson's there and he's he's performing at the level that we're accustomed to, and he, you know, he, he's, he's just not moving. He's just not moving. So I do think probably for Keller, there's also something that's feeding into his form potentially that relates to his his situation, that he's only ever going to be at Liverpool. Whilst it's a great club to be at, a uh, second-choice option, unless something were to happen to Alisson, you know, he got an injury or he, he was away for any period of time. Other than that, there isn't a scenario where Keller is going to get an opportunity, I don't think. So I think this will probably be the last season we see him. And um, I'm looking at a lot of his performances and thinking, not that... You're not as good as I thought you were, but you're not as good as you were at the moment. You're not as sharp. You're not as responsive. So, back four was Gomez, Matip, Kwanzaa and Shimakas. Kwanzaa, again, you know, he's he's growing into the role um, of, of backup centre-back. And I think maybe within a season or two, he'll be, he'll, he'll be there. I don't think he's going to be one of those kids who are like, oh, whatever happened to he ends up playing, you know, championship football. I think he's going to stick around, definitely in the Premier League, and I hope within our squad because he's he's come through the ranks. He looks like a real solid option for us. And um, Shimikas, <laughs> Shimikas is how can I put this kindly? He's not a very good option for us, but he is our option. We don't have any other option. And like I said previously. In the last podcast, a lot of people were throwing slander at Andy Robertson saying he's a weak link in the side. I do think it's a massive drop-off in terms of contribution in the pitch. Robertson's essentially another captain in the side. He's a lot more experienced. Shimikas, a lot of people do focus on the optics with, with, with that kid because he does, he does look like a teenager whose mum has just woken him up out of bed and told him that it's time to go to school. And it looks like it takes him a while sometimes to get into the game and wake up and get with it and get on with his day. So looking at that back four, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this we could be in for a tricky time. Gomez again playing right back, which is his natural position. And and so it proved. 
Toulouse were all over us like a rash and and um, that was definitely an area of the pitch we suffered in. The midfield, just completely line up. Elliot, Endo and McAllister. Doak, Gakpo and Diaz up front. So, you know, with that team you're looking at, it's quite patchwork. There was always a risk that we were going to struggle, particularly in an environment like Toulouse where their incredible fans were making such a, a rapturous noise and, and creating such a brilliant atmosphere all the way through. So that would have been a brilliant experience, actually, and a, a steep learning curve for, for some of those players who've had less minutes um, and who have less experience in these kind of scenarios. I'm thinking of Ben Doak. He, again, seems like the kind of guy who could mature in something big, but you don't look at him and think he's a sure thing. I know some Liverpool fans were getting excited over what they're seeing in pre-season where he's producing these moments, he's looking aggressive, he has the confidence. But ultimately what we're looking for at a top top club like Liverpool is top performers and um, he's yet to prove that. He is a teenager, so it's, it's not like I think we should be putting pressure on him. And I do think the fact that Jurgen Klopp tends not to play him um, in Premier League games is an indicator of where he thinks he's at. At this moment in time, he had a, another performance where he's very busy, but ultimately not very productive. Gakpo, and this is a risk. People say we've got five top class operators, but what happens is when you get into a groove of being in a team and you're in form, it's a lot easier to come out and, and perform and be effective than it is if you drop into the drop onto the bench and are waiting for your next opportunity. And that's what I got with Gakpo. He wasn't very effective. Yeah, he didn't he didn't lead the line as well as we probably needed him to. And in that environment where you probably need calm heads to hold up the ball, make the right choices and be potent in attack, he wasn't able to provide that. And then Luis Diaz, who's had his own struggles. Um, yeah, that three together, they weren't really cutting it. They weren't cutting it. And you could see from Jürgen Klopp's press conference after, he he said things like, you know, we we this is a learning curve for us, <clears throat> but he was also focused on uh, quite a controversial refereeing decision that we'll come to later. But he wasn't gutted by it. Uh, they were just caught in the storm, basically, uh, caught in a storm, and it it wasn't it wasn't a good night. But I have to say, I wasn't deflated. I just thought, look, we're still top of the group. The two teams that we've got to face, uh, Union and and Lask, are not very good. And Liverpool will get through the group. They'll get through top. Someone in one of the WhatsApp groups, I mean, did point out that actually we shouldn't be too relaxed because we need to make sure that we qualify top of that group. Otherwise, you get extra fixtures, which is not what we need at all in this competition. We just need to get through the group top, um, progress the next round and await uh, Man United (laughs) sometime later in the competition. So let's talk about the goals. Liverpool had been pushing for an opener against a team that they'd pummeled 5-1 at Anfield, but it didn't come. And then on the 36th minute, uh, Kostas Simakas, looking a bit dozy, had been bypassed by Donum, who just drove himself into the box and powered the, the ball past Keller, who I think could have done better with that effort. The lead was doubled on the 58th minute after half-time, and by that point, Simakas had been hooked. And so had Endo, who's really lucky, I would say, not to be sent off um, for second yellow. He Again, he hasn't had many opportunities. He does still look a bit raw, a bit like he's he's not in the groove of things. And it was a harem-scarem kind of environment, which uh, he wasn't really 
tuned into and he wasn't on the same wavelength as uh, some of his other teammates. So Klopp did the right thing by bringing on uh, Salah, Soboslai and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And um, he didn't have much of an impact. So when Toulouse did go 2-0 up, it wasn't too much of a surprise. It was a big shock when Liverpool actually pulled one back. It was a really bizarre own goal. I haven't seen many like it or, or comparable, I'd say, because ball came into the box and it was kind of squeezed into the tightest of spaces uh, via the head of Caceres Jr. That was on 73 minutes. And then you're thinking, oh, maybe, just maybe, 17 minutes of normal time left to go. Maybe they can claw their way back into it. And three minutes late, they can see it again. Really disappointing, and more than anything, you know, it was just indicative of, of a really sloppy defensive performance from the team. So the substitute Magri had latched onto a saved shot that had, had come off Keller, or that or that Keller had pushed out. And at that point, you think, oh, no, okay, that's it. So at that point, it looked like the game was probably up for Liverpool, but again, Diogo Jota did one of his mazy runs. I think not too dissimilar to the one he scored at Anfield against. Toulouse, where he just decided to take on like three defenders and slot past the keeper. And, um, you know, in any other scenario, you'd think, oh, well, that's one of the goals of the season. But because we were so desperately um, poor, it's probably a goal that would get forgotten, unfortunately. So that did make it two, sorry, three, yeah, three, two, um, with like a minute to go. Deep into injury time, the moment of controversy that seemed to upset quite a few people. Kwanzaa was denied his first Liverpool goal. It was a scramble in the box. He he lashed home in the 95th minute. I went mad in my living room. Cushions went up in the air. Turned around to see the referee point to the spot to say, yeah, goal, restart play. And all of a sudden, he reached to his earpiece and started walking over to the monitor. And when they walk over to the monitor, you know what the refs are going to do. They're going to go with the decision of, of the VAR, which is to, to overturn the on-field decision. That's what happened. The issue had been in the build-up to the goal. McAllister was a judge to have, of handballs. I think it wasn't an unfair decision. It was just weird that A, the referee had blown uh, to restart the match, and you must have seen it, and decided that it wasn't handball, and B, that it was such it was so early on in the build-up. But Jürgen Klopp, to his credit, again, didn't focus too much on it, but obviously you're going to reference it because it it doesn't feel great when you have a a last-minute equaliser denied, especially in those kind of circumstances. So, all in all, three games, very mixed results. But, again, we're still on course for, for the objectives, whatever you deem them to be. We're in all competitions. Just the performances are a bit of a worry now, um, particularly at this time of year when the games are going to start to pile up. But let's hope that the Reds can build up a bit of momentum again starting with Brentford at home on Sunday. We need three points heading into the international break and then from there we'll see what happens when we come back to face Man City at the Etihad for another 12.30 kickoff. It's going to be a wild ride and uh, we're here for it, man. We're here for it. This is our team. It's what we love. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, but ultimately the Reds roll on. We'll chat to you after the Brentford game, where hopefully we'll have another three points in the bag. Take care, Reds. You never walk alone.